Welcome to the Sports by Fry podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Fry, and I'm back with another episode. Two in about three days. Look at me go after uh, being lazy and not getting an episode out in uh, about two months. Um, huge weekend of sport. Um, the NFL is still ahead. NFL Sunday is on the horizon. But I'm going to talk a little bit about the AFL footy. We finally have the grand final match locked and loaded. It will be the West Coast Eagles versus the Collingwood Magpies. That is the sentence that I don't think anyone thought they would be saying at the start of the year. Um, surprising to see the Tigers not get up, but I'm going to dissect both games a little bit and then talk a little bit about off-season player movement because uh, with my team not in the finals and there's 16 other uh, AFL clubs out there with plenty of fan bases wondering what direction their teams are going to take in the 2018 off-season, or 2018-19, I guess you could say. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to dissect a little bit of... Uh, the rumours and the rumblings in player movement and negotiations, etc. Technically, week three in the NFL is already underway after uh, Baker Mania took over on Thursday night. What a fucking awesome game that was. Kudos to the Cleveland Browns for finally snapping their 600-plus day losing streak. That is ridiculous to think they've nearly gone two years without winning a single game. But, yeah, celebrate Cleveland. You've got the W. Um, Baker looked lights out. He surely should start moving forward, but... There's 11 games uh, that are on tomorrow that I'm going to give my picks and a little bit of uh, popular storylines to look out for in those games, plus a little bit of uh, last-minute fantasy advice as well. So, without further ado, let's get started. Wasn't really a surprise to see West Coast get the job done at Optus Oval uh, against the Ds, but... I don't think anyone expected Collingwood to topple Richmond, especially considering the Tigers had won 22 or 21 straight at the MCG. Uh, Myself included, everyone had kind of just penciled them in to at least make the grand final, um, if not win at all. And then, yeah, finals footy happened. Collingwood came out and just put them to the sword early. Mason Cox, who would have thought that a seven... Actually, I don't technically think he's seven foot. Who would have thought a huge... Uh, Texan would dominate at the MCG and lead Collingwood into a, another grandy. Um, I did the AFL quiz that was on the AFL.com site talking about how many teams had prayed, played in the most prelims, etc. I think from memory it was Geelong, but I was surprised to see that West Coast wasn't up there. That was my pick. And after getting the job done again in a prelim, they'll be uh, going back to the grand final looking to atone for their 2015 loss to Hawthorne. Um, sets up a, actually a pretty interesting grand final, even though it's two kind of random teams, I guess you could say. Hopefully we get a good game um, as opposed to the two pretty boil-over prelims that we had. Um, and I think we will. I think it'll be a game of, yeah, kind of the team that settles first. It'll be a classic... I think it's going to be a classic grand final. I'm going to call it now. It'll be... You know, it's really up for grabs. You could see West Coast getting the job done. I personally think they're the better team and they've kind of timed their run to perfection. I remember sitting down with J-Lo. I'm not going to put a round number on it, but it was after the buys. It was around that time, just when they started to hit a little bit of turmoil. Um, And by a bit of turmoil, I think from memory, they only lost like two out of five games or something like that. But Kennedy was in a bit of strife injury-wise. Darling wasn't looking his best. And I remember saying that it's almost set up perfectly for the Eagles to make a run at the flag. And Here we are. Um, I do need to publicly apologise to Nathan Buckley. I had no faith in uh, his ability to get Collingwood to this position, let alone um, to make the final. So I thought that Bucks would be gone before the year was done. 
Um, just I don't know what it was. I just wasn't a big fan of his game plan. I didn't think they'd taken a lot of steps forward. But yeah, a lot of their young guys stepped up this season. Still side bottom, just quietly. He could be a real uh, dark horse to win the Brownlow next year. I think he probably didn't do enough this season, but if he can get those healthy dudes running around him, if Taylor Adams can find some form again and Trelaw can get on the park, don't rule out uh, side bottom going ballistic and making a run at the Charlie. Um, speaking of the Brownlow, I will be doing a Brownlow predictor, an article um, that will pump out probably tomorrow while I watch NFL Sunday. Um, so make sure you check out sportsbyfry.com to read that. Um, so yeah, I'll probably on about Thursday do the grand final preview, um, even though it's going to be a bit tricky. I haven't obviously been watching as much footy as I would have liked being based in Toronto. Um, but yeah, I still know enough about the AFL to voice my opinion. So um, early pick is for the Eagles to get the job done, but um, it'll depend a little bit on if there's any movement with team selection. Shuey and uh, Jezza McGovern both were a bit sore during the D's game, but there's no way they're not getting up for the grand final unless they've got broken bones. But, yeah, barring anything crazy, I think they'll both suit up. I kind of feel sorry for dudes like Nick Nat and Gaffey and there's someone else I'm missing, I'm sure. Oh, they had Josh Kennedy back now. There's, I'm sure there's another injured eagle I'm thinking of. Shepard, that's it. Guys who, you know, they've contributed to the long-term success of the club, especially someone like Shepard who injured himself only in the last game before the prelim. Uh, feel for those dudes who miss out on technically getting a Brownlow medal. Uh, Brownlow medal, a premiership medal. Um, that is, of course, if the Eagles get the job done. Um, I'm really concerned, speaking of the West Coast Eagles, I'm going to transition straight into player movement. I'm a bit concerned over their ruck stocks. Nick Nat suffered a couple of serious knee injuries, and Scotty Lysett's linked to a move to Port Adelaide from memory. Um, he wants out after this uh, premiership race. So, yeah, West Coast are going to start getting a bit creative if they want to stay in the hunt. Now, They've got plenty of trade assets to potentially snag a uh, impressive Ruckman, but I don't think they need to swing for the fences and hit a home run getting a Ruckman. It'd be nice to see them. I think they've been linked to Jordan Ruffhead from the Bulldogs, or one of the Bulldogs' um, mature-age Ruckman. He's you know, mid to late 20s, played probably close to 100 games. Those are the type of dudes that you need to get, like Nathan Vardy, actually. He's been pretty good for West Coast. But, yeah, if Lysette leaves and Nick Nat's on ice, they need someone to help Vardy, and uh, yeah, so I'd like to see them make a push, she'd be awesome if they were able to get like a pretty solid Ruckman, someone like a fringe All-Australian, no one's really jumping to mind right away, maybe like a Paddy Ryder type, I'd love to just see their midfield and their engine room just explode, and I guess if Nick Nat's healthy, you could argue that um, he does that, so... Um, Sticking with West Coast, let's talk player movement, Um, will Andrew Gaff stay or go? That is the million-dollar question for West Coast fans. I think, regardless of if he stays or goes, they're kind of set up in an okay position. Um, They're pretty deep. They've been linked to a few other players in the off-season who I'll talk about in a moment. But Andy Gaff's signature um, will be a big determining factor. He obviously helped them um, get to the position they're in now by winning, helping them win a lot of games in the regular season. Um, But I think I have a gut feeling that he's going to bounce. He's probably going to take the North Melbourne offer, the rumoured North Melbourne offer. Um, it seems after this whole weird, weird scenario in the last few months with the um, Andrew Brayshaw incident and then Gaffy's free agency, it just seems like it's the right time for a fresh start for Gaff. He's no doubt he's a superstar of the comp and the Eagles will want him in their team instead of uh, trading him. But I think... From a just overall list management perspective and looking at their uh, 
the current structure of their squad and moving forward with salary cap and everything, it might be might be smart to let Gaffey walk. Um, they've been West Coast. This is strongly linked to Tim Kelly from Geelong. So, if Andrew Gaff did somehow make his way to North Melbourne or to another team in Victoria, then they could potentially snag Tim Kelly and just slot him straight into that outside spot that Gaffey's been playing. And Tim Kelly would be a much cheaper, much younger option than Gaffey. So you know, there's the Eagles are a smart football club. It hates me to, it pains me to say it, and I. Fucking hate them sometimes because uh, as a Dockers fan, it's frustrating to see that level of success um, from your, I guess, what do you call them? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, rival. Um, but yeah, the West Coast—they're just such a professional squad, club, franchise. I think that they'll make the right decision, and I think that right decision might be to let Gaffy walk. Um, if he does walk, obviously that frees up huge salary cap um, gaps. <laughs> gaps? No, flexibility. That's probably a better. Uh, term to use um, that flexibility could be used to make a play at someone like Mitchie McGovern who uh, apparently what's out of the Crows seems like it's only a matter of time before he gets a deal done um, he's apparently back in WA at the moment and it'll be interesting to see if how uh, West Coast's season unfolds from here on out if that has any effect on uh, Govsy's decision been linked to Carlton as well be a nice fit to see Govsy uh, of the junior variety next to Charlie Kerno in the Blues forward line. Uh, personally, of course, I want him at Fremantle, and it'd be nice to welcome Mitch back to WA. But, yeah, I can dare to dream. Um, speaking of Frio, just really quickly, I want to touch on the whole Lockie Neal saga. Um, I did actually try to record a podcast about two weeks ago, just when the Lockie Neal news broke that he was um, interested in a move to the Brisbane Lions. But for whatever reason, the recording audio didn't save correctly. But... I am of two very confused minds and very conflicting opinions on what to do with Lockie Neal. Personally, um, I love the dude. Great to have him on your team. But that being said, our midfield looks like we're bolstered by a lot of good young dudes. I like the looks of Chera, even if he does play a bit more of like a half-forward role. Um, Andrew Brayshaw had a great debut season. There were some other dudes like Crowden and Banfield. Um, I'm blanking at a few of the other rooks, but they all floated through. Connor Blakely, if he can get healthy, he might be able to take a bit more midfield role rather than playing that half-back position that we saw him do a bit this year. But, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is if Lockie Neal does walk, then we do have some depth to nurse that um, omission. Now, of course, the health of Nat Fife would really determine just how big Lockie Neal's uh, absence would be in that midfield. And Dave Mundy's no spring chicken. He's... I think from memory, 32, 33. So he's probably going to walk out um, and hang up the boots any day now. So, yeah, it's it's tricky because if we could get pick four from Brisbane for Lockie Neal and then having four, and I'm from memory sure that the Dockers will have five after, of course, this all um, draft compensation thing pans out. I think we'd have pick four and five, which would be nice. Imagine if we could just get two key position dudes, plonk one down back, one up forward, or two up forward, two down back, whatever, because that's really what Frio's lacking right now. Cam McCarthy cannot be our lead full forward. Michael Walters is too banged up and... I don't know. What's the word? I don't want to insult Mickey Walters because he's arguably my favourite Frio player. But he can't be a team's leading goal scorer. He's a perfect like number two or three. Probably three if we can get Cam McCarthy um, or someone like that up and going. Didn't mind the look of Brennan Cox last year. And Matty Tabernard's got a bit of promise up forward for the Dockers. But... Yeah, we just need a big fish who can take a mark and kick a bag of five or six every now and then. Someone like a Tom Lynch, 
Um, yeah, Jesse Hogan would be great, but I don't think we're going to get one in free agency. So going through the draft seems like the way to go. And if it costs us lucky Neil, I might be okay with it. Um, yeah. Watch this space, though, because like I said, I don't really want to lose Lockie Neal, but it'll obviously depend on what we do with that pick that'll uh, determine whether I'm happy with Lockie Neal's future movements. Um, talking just quickly on Tom Lynch, who I just mentioned briefly, um, the Gold Coast Suns forward, who'll obviously not become a Gold Coast Suns forward for much longer. He, uh, I listened to a podcast yesterday, I think, about him talking to some big uh, AFL media members and talking about his future and from memory um, his agent or the Gold Coast list manager or someone of the sorts was weighing in on their thoughts as well. It seems like it's a done deal, Tom Lynch to Richmond, and that's the rumours that we've been hearing. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Imagine if you could just plonk Tom Lynch somewhere else. Like, what other team would need a superstar, well, not necessarily superstar, but a top 10 key forward in the league and... Imagine if you could just slot him into a lineup, say, like Hawthorne. Let's not rule out the Hawks. I have a sneaky suspicion that the Hawks are going to do something creative with their cap flexibility. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but I've got to, <laughs> I always have these gut feelings that Hawthorne's going to screw the AFL. They're going to win the flag like I predicted. They're going to steal Tom Lynch from the Tigers. Um, don't know why. I have a lot of faith in Alastair Clarkson. But, yeah, I don't think that Tom Lynch is... Really signed, sealed, and delivered at the Tigers, um, and especially considering their whole team first philosophy. No offense to Tom Lynch, he seems like a great dude, but you know, he's not really sticking it out through the tough times in Gold Coast. Now, I do understand he's been there for six or seven years, and there's only so much loss and losing you can take, but and moving obviously home is a big factor as well. But yeah, I don't know, I just I think that him in Hawthorne seems like a better fit. And don't rule out something weird happening over the uh, free agency period. That's all I'll say. Another big-name son in Stephen May has been linked to leaving the club as well, which would be uh, pretty devastating for the Suns. He's been linked to Collingwood, playing that key defender role. And that could be very interesting, regardless of how the rest of this season unfolds, if Collingwood goes into 2019 with Stephen May as their full-back or centre-half back, whatever. Then all of a sudden, they've uh, got a pretty, pretty imposing list to uh, do the Magpies. So... Watch this space. The other club being mentioned in a lot of rumours and potential player movement uh, early in the AFL off-season is the Sydney Swans. Both Gary Rowan, Dan Hanabry, and apparently Nick Newman as well now all want out of Sydney to land elsewhere. Um, Dan Hanabry has been linked with a move to St Kilda quite vocally. Um, I don't... I don't know what it is about Dan Hanabry, but I'm scared off a little bit about grabbing him. I know he's only in his late 20s, and he's probably still got something left in the tank. Another four, maybe even five years at a good club, maybe even longer. But these injuries scared me. I listened to that same aforementioned podcast with Tom Lynch, and Dan Hanabry was voicing how he wants to get to St Kilda as well. And he said that someone asked him a question as to why Sydney would get rid of him if he was healthy. And he said, you know, there's no guarantees that I am going to be back to full fitness, which should probably send alarm bells ringing through the Saints. I mean, if they can get him for the right price, I understand. I just, I, I don't know. I feel, feel like money and that uh, potential role could be used elsewhere rather than by acquiring Dan Hanabry. But he's a 200-game player. He's a premiership player. From memory, he the rising star as well back in the day. So it's not a terrible person to have mentor that young St Kilda engine room, I guess. 
There hasn't been too much else mentioned about uh, Nick Newman and where he's wanting to go. Gary Rowan apparently seems set to join Geelong, or that's his club of choice. Uh, Geelong will be an interesting team to watch throughout this player movement period as well because all of a sudden their list is very old and very top-heavy, and if they can't you know, swipe and nail a few younger picks, some of those mid-tier players that you need to get to help you know, support the older class and teach the young kids uh, the way of life. If you can't get a couple of those middle-tier free agents and middle-tier players uh, clicking, then, yeah, things can go south really quickly, as we saw with Geelong having a pretty shitty 2018. But their, their player movement and how they uh, structure their list heading into next year will be one to watch as well. All right, enough about the footy. Let me dive into NFL very quickly. I'm going to give my picks for the 11 games going to be played on Sunday. Um, touch a little bit on some fantasy news. Pretty interesting week three slate. Uh, we've got two games in now. We've started, got a bit of an idea of how each team looks um, and what to expect. So let's start with the NFC South battle between the Saints and the Falcons. Pretty instantly must-win game for both teams. New Orleans has looked very, very unimpressive in the first two games, and Atlanta can't seem to punch the ball into the end zone, so... What's new? I tip the Falcons to win the NFC South, and early on that looks like a terrible decision. Hopefully the Falcons can get their offense back on track, and for New Orleans they'll be trying to get their defense back on track. So it'll be very interesting. I'm going to have my eyes on Julio Jones as well and see how he matches up against uh, Marshawn Lattimore from New Orleans, the reigning defensive rookie of the year. That'll be a matchup to watch for sure. Next up, we've got the 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I'm going to... Just sound a little, little upset alarm here. Don't rule out 40, uh, San Francisco doing something bizarre. Now, Kansas City's favoured by pretty much a touchdown at home, and after watching Paddy Mahomes and the rest of that offence light up the NFL, there's no reason why they won't keep winning and Pat Mahomes won't keep throwing touchdowns. Kansas City's defence, though, it's just... I think it's a little bit better than what they have played, but we do know it's not great. And I think that if Jimmy Garoppolo can get going, maybe he can cause a bit of an upset. We've seen that Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs are happy to play in shootouts. And like I mentioned before, it doesn't matter if you're scoring 30 points as long as the other team's not scoring 31. So, yeah, expect this one to be a huge scoring game. I reckon both teams will get over the 28 mark, closer to the 30. But, yeah, small, slight upset alert. Um, I'll be watching the 49ers very closely. Um, the Raiders and Dolphins game is one that I will not be watching very closely. This should go to Miami. They should go to 3-0, and which means Oakland will go to 0-3. Um, it's being played in Miami. I don't think that Miami or Oakland are good, but um, the Dolphins have done enough early on to suggest that they should take care of business at home. And speaking, care, <clears throat> and speaking of taking care of business at home, the Minnesota Vikings going up against the hapless Buffalo Bills. Uh, this is going to get ugly, I think. This game will probably... Actually, no, I take it back. The line for this one's about 17 points, which seems like a lot, and I think Minnesota will cover, but don't be surprised if this game ends like 28-10 to 10 or 27-3, to 3, something like that, or 7 or whatever. I don't think Buffalo will move the ball a lot throughout the day, but I don't think Minnesota's going to go out there and try and pants the Bills either. I think they're going to be smart. They're going to move the ball, play low-risk football, um, plenty of checkdowns from Kirk Cousins, plenty of running to uh, try and chew up the clock and just hopefully get out of this game with a clean bill of health. 
Philadelphia plays host to the Indianapolis Colts in the next game. I said that very quickly, but that was Indianapolis. I did uh, get that correct, I'm sure. Um, Carson Wentz's return to the gridiron. Uh, going up against Andrew Luck. This should be actually an underrated game, one to watch for sure. Um, very interested to see how Philadelphia comes out. From all reports, I don't think there's anything confirmed yet, but it looks like J.H.I.E. might miss. So if that's the case... Um, there might be too much of an ask for Carson Wentz to get the job done in his first game back. Um, he's meant to be playing with no restrictions, and I don't see why um, Philly wouldn't be unloading him if he wasn't fully ready to go. He's been practicing. I'm sure he's fine, but I think that Indianapolis is going to cause the upset here. I like what Andrew Luck's done so far, building a bit of confidence back. I think Philadelphia's still in that weird Super Bowl hangover Mentality. I think even if they're still sitting at four and four or five and five, closer to the end of the year, I think they've got enough um, talent on paper and on the field to become a playoff team, regardless of how the first half of the season pans out. But yeah, while they're still a bit all over the place, this is a perfect time for the Colts to snatch a rare road victory. Wouldn't surprise me if Green Bay got a road victory over the Washington Redskins, though. Um, they are favoured just slightly, even though they are the road team, because their quarterback Aaron Rodgers will be playing. Um, how much he does play will be a big factor in this one. And it is really starting to become a big talking point for Green Bay season because it's no secret that Aaron Rodgers isn't 100%. His knee's banged up. Um, if he, you know, if they build a big lead, a big t- three-touchdown lead early, maybe we could see Deshaun Kaiser take the sec- to the field in the second half or the last quarter, get Aaron Rodgers some valuable rest. Um, I think that is what will happen. If Rodgers gets hit early, though, or... You know, doesn't look right and he has to come in and the game's still on the balance, then, yeah, Washington could come away um, with a 2-1 and one record after three games. It's not, uh, not impossible to see happening. Um, as a betting game, I would just stay away from this because Aaron Rodgers' health is just too, I don't know, wishy-washy to determine how the game will unfold. Similar, I guess you could say, with the next game. Um, Marcus Mariota and Blaine Gabbert uh, both have seen time at quarterback for the Titans so far, um, which means, to no one's surprise, that they've got a lot of things to figure out on offense. They haven't looked great, still trying to figure out their identity. Um, And on the other side of the ball on Sunday is a Jacksonville team that, to be honest, might have just figured out how to score a lot of points. Um, I've been very vocal in saying that Blake Bortles is not a uh, superstar in the NFL. This is not breaking news. Blake Bortles traditionally has been bad at quarterback, he's done enough to help Jacksonville win a couple of games and help steer them to the AFC Championship game last year against the Pats. But well, speaking of the Pats, last week he torched them. He was making on-time throws. I can't remember his numbers off the top of my head, but yeah, he made some some good throws that I didn't think Blake Bortles could make. So that Jacksonville receiving core can support him, and if Blake can keep his uh, hot streak up. I think he will, um, and I think it'll be bad news for the Titans. This one could get ugly. I'm going to get through these next few games pretty quickly. There's not a lot to talk about. Um, The Ravens-Broncos in Baltimore. I think the Baltimore Ravens will do enough to get this win. Um, The Broncos are 2-0, though, and Case Keenum's looked fine to start. I just can't see him going into Baltimore and getting the win. Could happen, but yeah, no. Not likely, so Baltimore gets my pick there. Houston versus New York Giants is the next game. Um, with both teams sitting at 0-2, this is a win-or-go-home scenario already, it seems, for both sides. The AFC South and the NFC East 
Um, both weird divisions, so I guess even if both these guys, or one of the teams, sorry, does move to 0-3, it's not the end of the world. They might be able to scrape in with a 9-7 and record into the postseason. Uh, the Giants probably have their work cut out for them a bit more than Houston. Um, and, and to be honest, I think that Houston's a better team overall uh, compared to New York. Their offense is starting to click. Deshaun Watson's being able to stay upright. But both offensive lines are pretty terrible, which means this game will be, yeah, once again, a tough one to predict. But I've got the Houston Texans getting up. The Giants just can't score enough points. It sucks considering they've got Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham and the likes of Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram as well. Ingram as well. Both those guys, or all those guys are actually a, you know talented offensive players, but yeah, they just can't put points on the board enough. It's crazy. It'll be interesting to see if the Giants can um, score some points against Houston, but I don't think uh, even if they do, they'll score enough to win the game. Um, the afternoon games then kick off with the battle of LA, the Chargers versus the Rams. I don't want to overreact to two weeks in the NFL, but I love what the LA Rams are doing right now, and they should probably will move to 3-0 and with a win over the Chargers here. They're now uh, city rivals. I don't think many Chargers fans will be uh, cruising to the Coliseum to watch this one. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think LA <laughs> should uh, specify the Rams, I mean, by LA. I think they will uh, win by at least double digits. Um, the Bears versus the Cardinals is the next game up. Another whatever game. It'll be interesting to watch, uh, see if Josh Rosen sees game time here. Sam Bradford hasn't started the year on fire. Um, hopefully he can get the ball to David Johnson for every fantasy coach out there's uh, mental well-being. There's a big game for Mitchell Trubisky. He can go into Arizona here and get a win and you know cause a little bit of a stir um, in that NFC North. Uh, put the Packers and the the, um, what's the name? Vikings on notice. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch Trubisky. Um, should get it done. And then, yeah, Arizona. Yuck. Got to put Josh Rosen in sooner rather than later. My guess is he might see some game time this week, but if he doesn't, then he should start week four. Um, Cowboys versus the Seattle Seahawks. Another game that's pretty tricky to predict um, for about all the bad reasons. Uh, I think I'd side with Seattle, even though they're technically 0-2, only because... I just don't see how Dallas can move the ball and score points. But then again, I don't really see how Seattle can do it as well. So, yeah, ugly game. I'd just avoid this one. And I'd probably, to be honest, avoid the Pats-Lions game, the nightcap on Sunday. Only because I think Tom Brady will probably score a touchdown on his first drive and his second drive. And then the margin will hover around that 15-3 to score mark for the rest of the game, which won't be good football to watch. So I have the Pats winning that one pretty easily. Uh, don't rule out Matt Patricia making it a contest. He was in New England for a long time, remember? He does know a lot about uh, the New England ways, so he could stifle their offense a bit, but I don't think he's going to... Uh, he's got the personnel to do it uh, enough to get a W. Um, I don't, I'm don't. going to do this every week, but I'm going to touch on the uh, Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay game because all of a sudden, this Monday night game for both teams is pretty fucking massive. If Pittsburgh loses... And they go to 0 1 and 2, then, no, sorry, 0 2 and 1 with their tie, then, yeah, I don't know how they're going to come back from this. I mean, their defense looks pretty wishy washy. Antonio Brown's pissed off that they're not playing well. Le'Veon Bell's not likely going to come back for another six weeks or so. Ben Roethlisberger's about 47 years old. So, yeah, this could go from bad to really, really bad for Pittsburgh if they don't get a win here. And to be honest, if. 
Ryan Fitzpatrick stays hot, they won't win this game. He's been lights out to start the year. I wrote a piece on him earlier this week just about how um, incredible his hot start is and what Tampa's going to do moving forward when Jameis has served his suspension. But I think, oh, God, this is tough. This is almost season on the line for Pittsburgh, though. And I don't know, We every year we seem to just pencil Pittsburgh in for at least nine, ten wins. And I'm tended to do that again this year. I think, though, that they're going to go down on Monday night. I think the Bucks are going to get it done. I just I can't see how Pittsburgh turns everything around in a week to get over this Tampa Bay team that's got all the momentum right now and arguably is the hot team in the league. Um, no one expected them to be 2-0 and after two games, um, and they could be 3-0 and uh, in 48 hours from now. So, yeah, watch this space. It'll be very interesting to see how that game unfolds. Um, before I do go, I want to touch on our NFL fantasy briefly. There are a few players that uh, may still be available in your waiver wire that you can snap up. The first one, and probably for this week alone, uh, the most important one, is Latavius Murray. Now, Dalvin Cook, the normal running back starter in Minnesota, is resting this game with a hamstring. Um, so, And obviously playing against Buffalo, you wouldn't want your superstars to be out there if they're slightly hurt so that gives a big opportunity for Latavius Murray to go for a ton of yards even though I did say I think uh, the Buffalo game won't be as high scoring as everyone expects there's no reason why Latavius Murray can't have a lot of those points that Minnesota does score they'll be trying to run down the clock um, so he could get a lot of opportunities to carry the ball he's shown that he can actually catch the ball as well and play in the passing game so yeah if you've got Latavius Murray or he's on your waiver wire, not only do I think you should grab him, I think you should start him, and I will be doing that this week. He's owned in about 60% of ESPN leagues, so if you listen to this podcast, stop what you're doing, go and get Murray on your squad right now. There are a few other dudes who are solid options this week. Um, Andy Dalton might be a sneaky little streaming option at quarterback. I know he's going against my Panthers defense, which in the past has been a bit of a tricky team to score against, but... Dalton's a top 10 quarterback fantasy scoring wise at the moment and he looks like he's going to continue doing that so I have faith he can at least throw a touchdown or two and keep the scores ticking over so if you're desperate for a QB he could be the one. Corey Clement from Philadelphia should see a bump in snaps and in potential scoring output as well especially if Jay Ajayi misses the game as I've already mentioned. Um, he's a pretty good dual threat Running back, Corey Clement from uh, Philly. He can take a couple of receptions, um, similar to Murray. And he's, uh, yeah, with the opportunity to run up the ball a lot, he could uh, score points. Similar to Murray, he's in about 60% of leagues at the moment. Um, I don't have as much faith as starting him over Latavius Murray, but, yeah, if Clement's on your um, waiver wire out there, snap him up, especially if JHI misses a couple of games. He could be a nice little uh, um, depth piece to have. Um, from the tight end perspective, I've got my eyes on a dude who, again, has his ownership around the 60% mark in OJ Howard from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It'll be interesting to see whether um, Ryan Fitzpatrick or Jameis Winston starts a lot of the games moving forward. But regardless, if Tampa Bay keeps scoring a lot of points, then OJ should keep scoring a lot of fantasy touchdowns. So I have faith that he could be a tight end number one this week. Like You should start him if you've got him. Last dude I want to talk about is Giovanni Bernard, who, uh, with Joe Mixon's injury earlier um, last week on Thursday night against the Baltimore Ravens, Bernard's ownership spiked, or pretty much doubled, 
in the last week. Be very interesting to see, like I said, Dalton should be okay against the Panthers' defense. So with that said, Bernard might be able to take a couple of catches and run the ball a little bit and hopefully punch it in the end zone and boost his score a little bit, make himself a bit more of a fantasy household name, which he hasn't really been in the past, but he's shown flashes. So, yeah, those are a few dudes to keep your eyes out for this week. Um, If you do have a spot to potentially snare one of those blokes, then go and do that. Before I wrap up, it's time for some birthday shout-outs. Slim, slim pickings today. Um, First up, Draco Malfoy, a.k.a. Tom Fenton, Felton, Tommy, whatever his name is. Draco turns 31 today. Jesus, 31. I remember watching him run around a Harry Potter screen when he looked about 13. So, Jesus, that makes me feel really old. Um, David Stern is another man who's very old. The former NBA commissioner turns 76 today. So, happy birthday to Dave. And finally, um, I was a big, big Dom Cassisi fan when he was running around for Port Adelaide. The premiership player who played over 200-odd games for the power. He turns 36 today, so happy birthday to the Dom. That's going to do it from another episode. I'll try and record another one sometime on the Tuesday, Wednesday mark. Um, I'll do my big grand final picks and things to look out for in the grand final, recap the Brownlow and week three in the NFL. Um, articles pumping out on sportsbyfright.com all the time, so you can check them out. If you dig what you're listening to, give me a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you again for tuning in, and until next time, peace. Peace.